Welcome to the Water Podcast. Water is a family of libraries for testing web applications. You can learn more about it at water.github.io. This is episode 64 of the Water Podcast, recorded on November 27th, 2016. My name is David McNulla, and I'm a software tester in Southern California. Today, I'm talking with Justin Watts. Justin, where do you work? I work at Loblaw Digital in Toronto, Canada, representing Canada. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, uh, I run a software testing team there. Uh, I've been there for about a year. And uh, yeah, we're doing some great stuff with open source tools. That's great. I love Canada. My grandparents <laughs> were from Canada, and we used to always get these big tubs of caramel and maple spread, and it was so good. Nice. All right, so the name of the place you worked at is Loblaw? Loblaw Digital. Yeah, so Digital. it's Loblaw is actually uh, it's the largest retailer, um, in one of the largest retailers in Canada. We, we interact with 40% of Canadians every week. The big thing we do is sell groceries. And uh, where Loblaw made a very interesting move is to open up kind of a digital wing to handle all of its uh, e-commerce work uh, and the move into selling online. I'm sure in the States you've really seen it, especially in California, Amazon going with same-day delivery, grocery delivery, one-hour delivery. Mm -hmm. This idea of engaging customers online, selling to them directly, uh, has really taken off. And so uh, in Canada here, as, as being a large retailer, Lobla has a really interesting place to try and do this online. And that means a very impressive software stack to try and scale that across Canada, an insane amount of testing to go along with it. And so that's where our, our team comes in to try and make sure that what we're putting out there to the market on the web uh, is stable and strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. So what are some of the reasons that you wanted to come on here? I know I asked you, but... <laughs> yeah, so I mean, in the in the past year that I've worked at Loblaw Digital, I've done test automation for uh, a few years now, uh, professionally, computer science background. When I was hunting around looking for, well, how the heck can we automate on the web? A couple jobs ago, uh, you know, I hit across Selenium, uh, originally in Java, and I just found that the boilerplate to be huge and, and absolutely at times uh, pedantic and unnecessary. Stumbled across Ruby and stumbled across uh, the Selenium bindings and water at the time, and water classic actually, and was really, really impressed by by kind of how they did things. And as time went on over the past couple of years, unlike I've ever been able to do in any other uh, community on the Java side, got to know the people that were making the software. Fantastic mm -hmm. um, people like Alistair Scott, Cheesy, Jeff, uh, Titus Fortner, and yourself. And, and, and from that, I think we've been drawn into the community. And so I really wanted to come on the show and talk largely because I feel like we've taken so much from the community and how it's helped us, how it's helped me in my work personally and professionally um, that we'd love to just give back a bit and also let everyone know big round of applause for everything you've done. Keep up the great work. I, you know, I really hope to see this community keep thriving uh, for a long time. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. You also mentioned before we started recording that you were interested in seeing if you could get some interest in hiring yeah yeah you know it's uh it's really hard to find ruby testers out there and i don't i don't think it's because they're not out there i think largely is uh not everyone's aware that that it's actually kind of a booming market in toronto 
with these new digital companies, the need to move quickly, iterate quickly means we're seeing Python and Ruby uh, get taken very seriously on the testing stacks, the automation stacks and DevOps stacks. I mean, heck, even just look at DevOps, things like Ansible and Packer, these are tools written in Ruby, written in Python. Uh, we're seeing these languages take hold in these areas of very agile uh, tooling development. So yeah, we, we are looking to hire senior and junior positions. So if you're in Toronto, no Ruby, uh, interested in test automation at big scale, uh, give me an email or hit me up on GitHub, TK8817. Okay. We're going to have links for that on the show notes. So if you're interested, check it out. I also wanted to ask you some other questions relating to the technologies. Now, you said you were interested in using Ruby, and I know there's more than one tool on Ruby for automating uh, websites such as Selenium or Capybara. Why water? Yeah, so we, we started with Selenium, and uh, the bindings, I think what's interesting what carries over is is that they're, they're written from a, a Java-centric perspective, and that's how they, they kind of got carried over. Um, and for us, when we looked at Capybara, which is really that uh, far on the other side, if there was like a left and a right side, and the amount of hand-holding uh, is, is, is insane. Now, I think that's really fantastic for folks that um, may not come from a computer science or development background, per se, um, or need to get started really quickly. Uh, but Water struck this very fan really, really nice middle ground where it gave you the power to do whatever you wanted without being so, as so opinionated to do it for you. Uh, and I think we really appreciated that as a team. And we see a lot of tools in the market out there that are they're not only trying to solve a problem, but solve it in just one very specific way. And, and often that can either get in the way or limit you as you try and grow in the future. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a good answer. Uh, I'm favorable to water myself, as you as you probably figured. <laughs> so. And I mean, yeah, it's, and it's no slight to Capybara. I mean... I would give a similar thing to, you know, we've seen a lot of these new CI tools come out like Circle CI and, and the fantastic Sauce Labs. And, and if you don't have the means, if you don't have um, or, or, or necessarily the talent on board, uh, being able to have tools that do a lot of that for you or handling intense amounts of the waiting logic, the form filling logic, um, dealing with the interactions, uh, there's, there's a big place for them. I think I'm just we're really appreciative on our team uh, that there's also tools out there that have the elegance and simplicity, uh, but also kind of that ability to to create your own opinion. I guess you would say. Mm -hmm. You are using page objects in your implementation. Which flavor of the page objects are you using? Great question. So, uh, like many people, we uh, we all read Cucumber and Cheese. Uh, thanks, Jeff, for that. And um, we started off using Cheesy's page object gem. And I mean, it's it's really blows your mind when you see it for the first time uh, to be able to define elements uh, so freely uh, and kind of interact with any of your test backing framework, RSpec or Cucumber. Mm -hmm. um, I think what we've learned now, though, and in the past few months, our team has started to move away from the page object gem. And largely that was because we found as we learned more about water. We learned that the syntax that, that kind of Cheesy had exposed in PageObject largely was the water syntax. And, and I think the real winners uh, of using PageObject were the people coming from Selenium because it cleaned up and uh, harmonized a lot of disjointedness uh, between uh, how, how things are called and what you expect things to do. 
Mm-hmm. And so as we got more and more comfortable with water, we realized we were just dropping down over and over again to the underscore element decorator and calling water directly. With the release of Water 6, fantastic new waiting, element level waiting engine, um, and all sorts of little tidy and cleanups, we really left ourselves wanting for something that was minimal. And so we've been having a look at Water Sum and Water Drops by uh, Podigy and Titus Fortner, respectively. Uh, and I think we're ready now to go down that path of either rolling our own or using just a really lightweight framework. Uh, and I think the reason we might do the latter is just so we can continue to help give back, um, ensure that there's there are options out there for the community that everyone could take advantage of. We'd hate to keep anything we do, you know, closed source or internal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good idea. I try to release anything that I create. Yeah, absolutely. I think, though, a testament to, to really how well, uh, you know, water and how, how far it's come is that, like, the code base of water drops and waters, and they're both, like, 100 lines long. Uh, and they really let the underlying framework do the talking. Uh, and I think there's a lot to be said for that. And letting the user kind of uh, come up with that, apply the business logic, per se. I think we found even a great example uh, populate page with and fill form and, ca- and capybara and cheesy's page object. Um, we, we have these bootstrapped forms on our websites mm-hmm. and, uh, the way select lists and checkboxes work is they're bubbled up with these divs on top where you're not actually interacting with the select list or the checklist. There's some JavaScript that sends it to that element in the background. Um, and if you try actually interact with those elements directly, the select list and checkboxes, uh, you know, you'll get this element's not visible error. And we ended up having to kind of cook up our business website specific form filler um, that could get the job done for us, kind of dropping down to JavaScript where, where need be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, it's a really good point at then where you start to see where you need to break off from the norm um, and apply what makes sense for that specific project. And interestingly enough, you know, that's not a problem for all of our projects. That's just our, our main product, Click and Collect. Uh, in some of our other websites, that's not the case. So, yeah, we're definitely leaning towards these leaner uh, frameworks uh, backed by water where we can come up with that logic ourselves as needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was talking with Titus. I think it was him who brought the idea up, and he mentioned how he was interested in possibly pulling together almost like a ready-made test stack with uh, different tools that – that people typically use with water, uh, maybe a, a framework such as RSpec. And uh, I think when you joined the conversation, you mentioned uh, Allure and maybe Cucumber. Yeah, it's uh, I, I like the direction Titus is going. And it, it comes up a lot in our day-to-day work as we work uh, – our, our team actually – is entirely independent from the uh, the manual QA team. And so we, we build tooling that uh, enables them to do their job better and also enables the developers to do their job better. And so our stakeholders at times are folks that are not necessarily uh, programmers at, at heart. Um, and so having a, a, an easy-to-set-up stack I think is really important. Um, and also w- in our business, we have folks coming in with Windows machines, Macs, uh, Linux boxes, um, and trying to find a way to harmonize that uh, can be really tough. And the biggest thing we have in our arsenal um, 
that I really want to see kind of fleshed out more in, in the forums online uh, is actually Docker. It's a fantastic open source mm-hmm. tool. Um, and, you know, what we've been able to, it solves some very key problems that a lot of people have. To give an example, um, trying to do multiple concurrent tests on a single machine. If you open up multiple uh, sessions with Chrome, uh, you'll often get conflicting uh, attempts at focus, uh, causing flakiness in your tests because a click wasn't registered properly. And, uh, you know, in Linux, this gets solved with something called XVFB, which is a virtual frame buffer, draws multiple uh, GUIs for you, and it's writing them to a file rather than, or sorry, to your disk rather than to an actual screen. And the beauty there is you can kind of spin up these multiple Chromes without them interfering with each other. Now, that's all well and good if you can get an Ubuntu image up uh, and, and all your tests are running on Linux. Um, but with Docker, we found, and I mean, this could be true of any VM, but the speed and elegance of which Docker does it, that whether you know our testers are using uh, Mac or using Windows or using Linux, uh, they can use these very lightweight VMs have access to the awesome stuff like XVFB, be able to do concurrent testing uh, without interference, kind of all from a single machine. And then the cherry on top, right, is that, that nothing had to get installed. Installing Ruby on Windows is, is still kind of a nightmare, to be honest. Uh, and, 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 it's, and it's often behind the times. I think 2.3 didn't come out on Ruby installer uh, for at least a couple months or if not a month after. Um, and uh, we, we definitely had a lot of pain points there. Uh, with the release of Docker on Windows 10, uh, the new Docker interface, um, it's been a breeze. We, we, we passed someone literally just a single command line, um, and uh, when they run that, you know, it downloads what they don't have, runs it fully kind of containerized, um, such that there, any issues they get would be same issues I could reproduce on my machine. Um, and through the magic of volume mounts, we can bubble up the reports or any data right onto their host hard drive as if they had run it locally. Um, I think the, the real beauty is that it's, it's, Docker makes it feel as if you are running it on your own machine, if done right. And uh, that's awesome. I think that's also good because you can... Uh, take the Docker containers and put them in an artifactory that anybody who wants to reproduce a problem can download that and run that. Absolutely. And we found as well, even when we're talking about size, if you're not using any native extensions, uh, gems, or if you're uh, hardcore enough to make sure you can get your own uh, native extensions compiled, you you can run this using uh, Alpine Linux and you can get a water test framework, you know, Ruby, the whole shebang in like a hundred meg. Um, and, you know, you're exposing that as what's called a Docker file. But when someone goes to want to use that or download that or kind of where I'm going next in this discussion of, of scalability uh, to do that on the cloud so you can run your tests on many machines, only having to pull down a hundred meg is it's a, it's a huge difference than, you know, A, if you're just on your machine installing everything from source um, or trying to pull down a massive Ubuntu image around. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's got some some really cool stuff on the horizon and some that's already here. Um, the stack that Titus is talking about and that we definitely envision and see as well. Um, I think what's what'll be great about it is that there are people that I think that are on the fence or perhaps a bit worried they don't know enough and it will hopefully help them get over that hump um, and that could bring some fantastic new people into the community and enable some folks who otherwise might not have been able to before. Yeah, get make a shorter distance to try. 
<laughs> exactly. Although I, I did infamously say, you know, uh, the barrier to entry is, is nice sometimes. You know, we all wanted to be a skateboarder when we were younger, but only half of us figured out how to ollie and the rest of us moved on and got into computers. And so, the, you know, the barrier for entry definitely makes it so that we don't have kind of too much junk. Um, but at the same time, uh, I do think we have to do what we can uh, to make it so it's not frustrating for the sake of being frustrating. Uh, you know, some of the problems we're trying to solve are difficult and really do take a lot of thought and effort. Uh, but there are other things. Um, and I think the ones that Titus is focusing on uh, where he's really actually doing stuff that's going to help make people more productive uh, and be able to create better things faster. Okay. I heard something interesting that you said in one of your answers was you are creating tools that allow your manual testers to work. Are, are you guys um, in creating any kind of uh, uh, tools that people can use in IRB or PRY for testing? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, while while we're chasing the beauty of, of, you know, a regression test suite um, and an end-to-end -end test suite, um, there's times when it can be really interesting to try and recreate a scenario or do a kind of off-road testing as a manual QA, um, but the data setup can be daunting or the repeatability of a bug that only happens every now and again or you're not sure how it happens can be daunting. And so that's where we originally were really interested in um, – I would say abusing cucumber because I do believe in what Alask and uh, the Cucumber Foundation say that you know it's often the greatly misunderstood tool, but some of those abuses can be quite powerful, uh, including the fact that we can kind of have a manual QA uh, edit a test, change the setup data, change the expectation, edit the data files, um, you know, using great tools like Fig Newton for for data control, or actually Titus has a great one called Water Model. Uh, for how we deal with forms and, and or any type of data really uh, mm -hmm. for that business logic and so yeah to be able to kind of just tinker um, with those settings and see what happens um, you know it's great that we're running these tools in CI uh, with every commit in a full pipeline end to end that's fantastic um, but there's always going to be times when you need to get your hands dirty and actually try find a hard to find bug um, and we we want we didn't want our, our QAs to kind of drop fully back to just doing everything manually you know we, we thought it would be fantastic if we could help them out with uh with tools that they can interact with not necessarily being developers i think that's also once again where ruby comes back in uh the readability the interactability uh it being a um you know at, at read time not you no know, not compiled into like down into a jar um so just you know someone can open up a text editor edit a config file kick it off again from the command line and yes yeah, through something like um Docker uh, or Vagrant not even have to install anything on their machine. Um, they can edit these config files, throw it into a Docker run, um, and you know Ruby, Chrome driver, XVFB, the whole nine yards is going to come with it. Um, and I think that lets them be more productive at their jobs. And I, I think we've heard some great feedback, so we're definitely going to continue down that path. Um, but try find something that isn't Cucumber and stop abusing it uh, to give that uh, kind of easier interface to come up with ad hoc tests uh, mm -hmm. without perhaps dropping down to RSpec, although RSpec is elegant. Um, I do like that kind of interface layer that Cucumber provides for people to do uh, off-road testing who have kind of maybe no programming knowledge at all. 
Yeah, I've, I've used Cucumber like that, but I've also um, used IRB, which allowed me to, to set up test cases to, to get me to some known state that allows me to do some exploratory testing. Exactly. And I think, you know, honestly, IRB and Pry especially, a round of applause for the Pry guys. Um, mm-hmm. It's been really great. Exactly. Get you to a state and let me go from here. Um, I think nine times out of 10, what, what someone wants to do at our organization is, Justin, can you get me a customer with 50 items in their cart and a registered account that has a credit card on it um, and put them in the checkout? We want to try see if we can make a bug happen. And getting to that state manually, especially repeatedly, can be really frustrating and stressful. Um, so to be able to drive a web driver to do that is great. And I think we just saw it as an opportunity. Look, we're mapping out the logic in these page objects for how to interact with this site. And yes, we're doing that largely to expose for testing, but we've really written an interface here to be able to yeah, get you to any state in our product very quickly and elegantly and repeatably. So it would be a, a waste not to use it. That's great. Okay. Uh, do you have anything else that you'd like to add? Um, I guess, uh, you know, I just actually wanted to add something about the, on top of the Docker, just as a, to round it out for folks who might be interested in what, a, a, you know, a full stack can look like, um, just to talk a little bit about our, our pipeline at Loblaw Digital. Um, we use Bitbucket to commit our code. Um, and then from there on any single commit, that's calling out to Bamboo, which is our CI. But where, where this really interesting stack comes in, and just to get an idea for the scale, um, we have our Bamboo, our CI, configured to use uh, Elastic Agents uh, to do our building and testing. And so what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll build our application artifact on a small box. But from there, we'll actually either spin up uh, a series of servers uh, and we're doing this kind of in real time on the commit. It takes a couple minutes for them to come up on EC2. And they, they spin up with a pre-configured image that has Docker on it. And from there, what we're able to do, thanks to parallel tests uh, largely, is take our, our, our test suite, which is you know about 500 cases, and split those up into chunks of, say, let's say, you know, 100 each across five servers, and we can just tell each of these kind of instances to run these these tests and uh, at the end report their results back. And so what that stack looks like is um, Docker is, is running the tests and inside of that is Ruby, Water, Chrome Driver, Marionette, Firefox, XVFB, and Allure for the reporting. And, uh, and it's running those tests and bubbling back up uh, that report, uh, JUnit and HTML kind of back out as an artifact to the CI. And the CI is kind of orchestrating uh, getting all those reports and merging them at the end. But what we've seen from this uh, is that we can kind of scale infinitely. And with some of the newer uh, technologies coming out of Docker, like Docker Swarm, and I've seen some really interesting stuff people are doing, uh, parallelizing specs and cucumbers, kind of with the idea, instead of even predetermining the number of tests, because what can go wrong there sometimes is the threads get imbalanced uh, if you're doing parallel testing and kind of assigning tests as you need them uh, using a queuing system. And I think one thing our team was looking to drive towards in 2017 is uh, trying to build uh, on top of water or something that's water friendly and RSpec and Cucumber friendly, a queuing system that would allow, allow us to interact with a Docker swarm uh, or any kind of mass 
set of, of, of servers to kind of hand out tests, report back a result. If the result is not what we expect, some form of retry logic. And I think for us, that's really the end game. I think it'd be a good idea to, to, to be able to just put all the tests on a queue. I worked at one place where we would end up with some some of the test servers would finish in 20 minutes and some took an hour and 20, you know, and that didn't really work. Right, right. So treating things as on a per test basis, um, I think, can, can really help us uh, speed things up. And at the same time, uh, moving towards a system where we're just less dependent even on beefy servers. I, I know when we first started, we were always clawing to get like an 8-core or 16-core server so we could spread out our tests on multiple processes. But we're still always limited by the size of the box. Um, mm-hmm. Just getting into distribution without necessarily getting into distribution per se. And that might be funny to hear, but by that I mean using something like Docker, parallel tests to spin up smaller groups of tests versus talking about having a master process actually doing distributed computing to multiple nodes. The former is, is, is actually really easy these days. A, a couple lines of code and you're there, whereas the latter can still be very daunting and difficult um, uh, in Ruby, uh, although not impossible, and there's, there are some tools out there to help you do that. Mm-hmm. I agree. So my name is Dave McNulla, and my site is dmcnulla.wordpress.com, and my Twitter account is at dmcnulla, and you can also find me on the Selenium HQ Slack using dmcnulla. Justin, are there any ways that people can get a hold of you? Yeah, so uh, GitHub TK8817, email, always happy to interact and talk, jcomu at gmail.com. And um, we have a website up if you're interested, once again, for the Loblaw Digital side, www.loblawdigital.ca. And uh, look forward to you know contributing more uh, in the future and hanging out on the Selenium Slack. For any listeners out there, highly recommend it if um, you want to kind of meet and greet or just learn more about what's going on in the water community. It's a great place to be. Mm-hmm. That's a great place to get help as well as Stack Overflow. There are a lot of people who will answer your questions on Stack Overflow and also on the Water General Google Group site. Thank you for listening to the Water Podcast. You can leave a comment at soundcloud.com slash waterpodcast. You can contribute at water.github.io. This podcast is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. All links will be in the episode show notes. Music for the Water Podcast is by Lee Rosevere, entitled Puzzle Pieces, released February 2016 under the label Happy Puppy Records.